Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, my good friends. Good to see you today. Thank you for your time. I'm sure that as little Appalachians, we all had our cowboy or cowgirl outfits complete with our six-shooters that we wore on our studded gun belts. We walked around doing one of two things, either keeping the law or we were the bandit. I guess it all depended on whose turn it was to play who. If we were the law men during my time as a little feller, most folks wanted to be Marshal Matt Dillon because gun smoke was so popular at the time. If it were the bandit, I guess no doubt that we had heard about the old West outlaws like Frank and Jesse James or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Our days were spent riding the range and dealing out robberies or justice depending on who we thought we were at the time. Now we were just pretending to be all those great lawmen or feared outlaws without ever thinking about what they'd actually done or whatever became of them. Most of the time, we just made it all up as we went. Nonetheless, it all was perceived by the majority of folks that all of that stuff took place out west, in the wild west. And I must agree that most of it did, but there are instances of these infamous outlaws showing up in the Appalachians. Have yourself a seat and let me tell you about the time that Kid Curry of the infamous Wild Bunch 
that included Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, came to Knoxville, Tennessee. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What does Hollywood and the Old West and the country of Bolivia and the Appalachian city of Knoxville, Tennessee all have that ties them together? Well, there is a movie and a man, and if you guessed Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, then you've guessed the movie. But if Paul Newman or Robert Redford came to mind, then you're close, but you, you need to guess again. Strangely enough, neither the major actors in the motion picture nor the well-remembered historical players they play hold the distinction we have in what we're talking about here today. No, it was a minor character, a barely-remembered character whose real-life story was a whole lot more exciting and significant for Knoxville than the movie made him out to be. The character's name was Harvey Logan, who was known as Kid Curry to those who knew him in real life. And the actor's name was Ted Cassidy, who played Lurch from The Addams Family. Now, that's The Addams Family TV show, not The Addams Family movie. That's for us old enough to remember it. While the character of Harvey Logan didn't even make it through the first five minutes of the movie, because Lurch was no match for Cool Hand Luke's fast foot to the groin that ends a knife fight over who the real leader of the gang was. In truth... The real Harvey Logan proved far more formidable than ever was on any TV or movie. In fact, it was not too bold to claim that the Kid Curry, not the dynamic duo of Butch and Sundance, was the real outlaw of the Wild Bunch. To tell it like it was, neither Butch nor Sundance had ever killed anybody and shared only a handful of gunfights between them. The Kid, on the other hand, was responsible for killing nine law enforcement officers in five separate shootouts, two civilians under other circumstances, and numerous other skirmishes with local posses and bounty hunters. William Pinkerton, the famous detective who eventually caught the wild bunch, once said of Kid Curry that he's the only criminal I know of who has not one single redeeming feature whatsoever. Small wonder that those who knew him and knew of him referred to him as the wildest of the wild bunch. Yet, while Kid Curry chose to come to Knoxville in the late summer of 1901 is not entirely clear, nor was the ultimate purpose of his visit. At the very least, he wanted to lay low in the aftermath of the $40,000 robbery he and the wild bunch had just taken off the Great Northern Express outside Wagner, Montana. Great Northern Express robbery happened July 3, 1901, as Great Northern westbound train number three pulled away from Malta, Montana. On the afternoon of July 3rd, conductor Alex Smith saw a tall, red-faced man 
board the blind baggage car. Thinking the man was a hobo, Mr. Smith ordered him off the train. Instead of obeying, the man pulled a pistol, shoved it into Mr. Smith's face, and warned him not to stop the train. Mr. Smith, now knowing that this guy meant business, backed away and the hobo headed for the engine. The freeloader then climbed over the tender and told engineer Tom Jones to just keep drilling. He told engineer Jones and fireman Mike O'Neill that he was going to rob the train and ordered him to stop at a small bridge where two more holdup men were waiting with rifles and dynamite. One of the passengers on train number three just happened to be Valley County Sheriff William Griffith. When the train stopped unexpectedly, Sheriff Griffith got off to see what exactly was going on, but was forced to take cover when the robbers started shooting at him. While two of the holdup men fired the rifles alongside the train to keep the sheriff and the passengers inside, the third robber marched Engineer Jones and Fireman O'Neill to the baggage car where mail clerk James Martin and express messenger Clarence Smith were dragged from the train. Now the man guarding the north side of the train then took charge of the train's crew by holding them all at rifle point while the bandit leader and express messenger Smith went to the express car. When they entered the express car, the robber commenced taking the dynamite from the sack and laid it on top of the safe, lit it up, and when it got to sputtering, Mr. Smith said, I think I'd like to get out of here. And the robber said, well, you just wait a minute and I'll get out of here with you. And once the bandit made sure that it was ready to go, they both ran out of the car. After the blast, they went back into the express car and the bandit took Fireman O'Neill along with him to carry the dynamite this time. Mr. O'Neill waited outside while the robber entered the car and found the safe without so much as a scratch from the blast. After placing another charge on the safe, the robber hurriedly ran out and another explosion rocked, well, what was left of the box car. As soon as the smoke cleared, the robber entered to find the safe still not open. Fireman O'Neill again waited outside while another even larger stack of dynamite was placed on the safe. After this one, which pretty much splintered the entire express car this time, the robber went back in. This time he found the door blown off the safe and ordered Mr. O'Neill to come with him. He threw what stuff was left in the sack out and told Mr. O'Neill to hold it. He started tearing the broken pieces off the safe so he could get to the stuff inside. He picked up one package and made a remark about it being worth about thirty or $40,000 and he dropped it in the sack. Once the safe was empty, the train crew was ordered to walk toward the rear of the train. The robbers then disappeared around the front of the engine and were next seen by the passengers riding toward the Little Rockies. Less than an hour after the robbery, train number three limped into Wagner. While 12, which was about 12 miles west of Malta, where Sheriff Griffith began organizing a posse to go after the robbers. Under Sheriff Richard Kane was contacted at Glasgow and he and seven deputies were soon on the way to Wagner aboard a light engine. Later, a special car loaded with horses was brought to, from Glasgow to Malta where a second posse was being formed. Even with the largest search ever conducted in the area, those outlaws were never found.
Now back in Knoxville, Kid Curry laid low, calling himself William Wilson. He soon began courting a woman named Laura Cross of a prominent Knoxville family, saying that he intended to marry her, purchase a farm, and live quietly off the proceeds he had made in the railroad business. Well, well, I guess that was the truth. He sure made it off the railroad business, didn't he? That's about the time the kid had about all the calm and peace and quiet that he could take, and it all came to an abrupt end on the evening of December 13, 1901. That's when officers from the Knoxville Police Department answered a call to Ike's Knoxville Saloon where a barroom brawl was in full swing. Now we Appalachians, we're no strangers to the barroom brawl. It used to be that you'd go out, have a few, and get into a nice little rumble, go home and forget about it. The police instead found themselves under fire from an irate Kid Curry who seriously wounded two officers before running out the back door. Now, this guy takes barroom brawls to another level, don't he? The long arm of the law caught up to him two days later in Jefferson City, and even though they brought him in, that wasn't the end of the story for Kid Curry. Now, thinking that they had him, the Knoxville police eventually discovered that what they really had was a little bit more than they could handle. The uh, investigators and police took this as a major break in the Great Northern Express train robbery case when the two Knoxville, Tennessee policemen responded to a drunken brawl at a local saloon where they tried to arrest one that was swinging at everybody, and he shot and seriously wounded both officers before running off. The next day, the stack of stolen Bank of Montana bills began to show up in Knoxville. The police investigation found that all of the bills could be traced to the man who had shot the policeman. The thrill of victory pulsed through the veins of the Knoxville Police Department on the train ride back to Knoxville from Jefferson City. With photographs received days before by mail and matching serial numbers from the bank notes in the suspect's pockets with those missing from the great northern train robbery, well, they knew they had their man. Within 48 hours of the shooting at Ike Bar, Ike's Bar, they had captured a man who had eluded federal marshals and Pinkerton detectives for years. And aside from taking a couple of slugs themselves, they did it all without firing a single shot. Believing that they were to be the ones to put an end to a story of an old West outlaw, what they were about to discover was the town of Knoxville was but just another chapter, and by no means the last one in the legend of Kid Curry. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, on December 17th, Pinkerton Detective Lowell Spence arrived and identified the man in custody as Harvey Logan, alias Kid Curry. Three weeks later, Clarence Smith and Mike O'Donnell identified Mr. Logan as one of the men who had robbed their train. To say Harvey Logan had reached celebrity status in Knoxville would be a gross understatement. A celebrity is somebody that gives handshakes and autographs to fans because they'll gather around to try to have a public encounter with said celebrity. President Theodore Roosevelt was a celebrity when he visited Knoxville during the kids' stay. And while local law enforcement concerned itself with his safety, public safety was never an issue as it was when the kid first got there. 
Thousands didn't push and shove to catch only a glimpse or trample one another for a chance to touch him, as one did back in the day for a famous outlaw. The Knox County Jail had been, after all, designed to hold people in, not to keep people out. Yet, faced with a virtual siege, not from armed lynch mobs or gangs of the kids' friends trying to bust him out, but from a mob of worshipful Knoxvillians. Sheriff J.W. Fox allowed open visitation of the kid that continued on and off up to the trial. Much like a baboon display at Disney World in Florida, people continuously paraded by just to take a proper gander at the real live outlaw from the West. On December 20, 1901, the sheriff's office counted more than a thousand visitors. Kid Curry wasn't a celebrity, he was a flash in the pan, an obsession that held during and beyond the two-and-a-half-year chapter of his life that was Knoxville, Tennessee. Unfortunately for those who thought they had him, that chapter in the kid's life ended on Saturday, June 27, 1903, just seven months before, on November 30, 1902, the Sixth U.S. Circuit Court had convicted and sentenced one Mr. The Kid to 20 years of hard labor in a federal penitentiary. His appeal process, now at its end, he was merely patiently waiting to be transferred from Knoxville to said federal penitentiary in Columbus, Ohio. So at around 4.15 that evening, Knox County Jail Guard Frank Irwin was standing at the kid's cell, having his usual small talk, chat with the less than dangerous appearing prisoner. Across from the cell was a window looking out over the Tennessee River. The two were talking about the river level, how it had risen since a recent storm. The kid pointed to the water along the bank, and when Mr. Irwin stretched his neck up to look down at it, the kid lassoed him around the neck with a wire taken from a broom that they had let him use to sweep out his stall. He then made Mr. Irwin turn around, and he tied the guard's hands to the bars with the strips of cloth taken from his cell hammock. Using yet another lasso, Made from the hammock, he managed to hook a shoebox from across the hall where the guards kept their pistols. Politely letting himself out of his cell with poor Mr. Irwin's keys, he forced at gunpoint jailer Tom Bell to open the cell block door. He then took Mr. Bell out into the courtyard where he made him saddle Sheriff Fox's horse. I guess because a regular horse just wasn't going to cut it. Kid Curry then rode out of the gate and on the Prince Street turned right on the Hill Street and then another right on the Gay. He was last seen galloping across the Tennessee River on what would later be known as the Gay Street Bridge, where he disappeared right into the night. According to the official story from there on June 7, 1904, the kid and two other men held up a Denver and Rio Grande Express train two miles west of Parachute, Colorado. Then on June 9th, a posse caught up with them, and the kid was wounded in the shootout that followed. Members of the posse heard him call to his pals, telling them that he was badly hurt and would end it there. Uh, about a minute later, he placed a gun to his head and took his own life. Like I said, that's the official story. We all know that we Americans love our outlaws, so with that came even more to the story. 
how Kid Curry met his ultimate demise is still open for speculation. Some agree that he committed suicide in 1904 in Colorado to avoid capture. Others say he escaped to South America where he reunited with the Wild Bunch Confederates, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and continued robbing banks and trains. And still others say he wound up on a ranch south of Buenos Aires where he married and had eight children before dying at the ripe old age of 76. Who can say for sure? With individuals such as Harvey Kid Curry Logan and in the public imagination to captivate, anything's possible. What we do know is that Kid Curry played a pretty unforgettable part in Knoxville colorful history and that will forever stay that way. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast and don't forget to subscribe, please. Go over to our Patreon page and have a look at it. We have exclusive content there and early ad-free releases of upcoming episodes. You can also support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or you can go to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we, yeah, we get into about everything, I think. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend. I'll see you soon.